Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Metacast, a podcast in which we explore the business of video games. I'm your host today, Aaron Bush, and this conversation with Scott Rice-Manis, the founder and CEO of Mod.io, is a special one. This interview was recorded back in May. We initially published it as a transcript on our website, Novik.co, but now we're sharing the full audio version right here. In this conversation, we dig into Scott's history with ModDB, why modding failed to cross the chasm, why that might change, and how Mod.io, a platform that gets studios fully integrated and cross-platform mod solutions for their games, will be a part of that solution. Without further ado, let's jump on in. Let's go ahead and jump in. Um, and yeah, I am really excited to have this conversation, partially um, because Mod.io is, is cool, uh, but also just because I'm intrigued by your ability to repeatedly stay at the forefront of the modding industry. And I want to spend most of this conversation focused on what you're building today, as well as your vision for the future. Um, but let's start by digging into how we got here. So to kick things off, um, I am, I am really curious why you've dedicated your entire career to modding. Um, what, what in you drives that passion uh, and, you know, wanting to stay dedicated to modding for such a long period of time? Yeah. So uh, probably the easiest way to answer that actually is if you look back 20 years, like I was a competitive first person shooter gamer, absolutely love Doom, Quake, Half-Life, Unreal Tournament. Like they were all the, the mainstays of the industry. And almost every game at the time there was a first-person shooter, the primary mode was deathmatch. Like that was really, they, were, they all had different flavors of deathmatch, but it was really deathmatch. And mods completely flipped that on its head. And that, but they flipped it on the head in the most extreme manner. Uh, and okay, the, the classic example that I think everyone knows is Counter-Strike, right? Like the first time that you played Counter-Strike, you went from a deathmatch, very singular focus sort of, gameplay to this this mod and this mod introduced weapon classes it introduced like like you know loadouts it introduced squads objectives time-based round-based gameplay like they literally added like five innovative pieces to the puzzle um, team fortress did the same thing in quake you know several years prior where they they like game series at the time were probably iterating on one function piece of functionality whereas mod creators were iterating on 10. And um, for me, that was just like, oh my God, this is absolutely insanity. I, I cannot believe what they're doing because it's working. And, and then they would quickly refine the ideas that worked. And so that hotbed of creativity, it's like like my friends and I used to LAN or, or play games competitively. And we used to just try to find as many mods as we could and just jump through them and explore the different creations that were been made. And in 2002, when I launched ModDB, it was so hard to find that content. It was scattered all over the internet. There was no organization or structure. So I, I liked IMDB and I thought, well, if the movies have got a database, why don't I launch a mod database and start to give creators a place to collaborate and a voice? So that's really what sparked my journey. I just absolutely loved the highly dynamic and innovative nature and, and uh, the community loved it too. And I got addicted to sort of building and the the feedback loop that I got every time people shared something new on the site. Awesome. And um, you, you mentioned ModDB. Let's spend a little bit more time talking about that. So you founded the company Debolical. I hope I pronounced that right. Um, in 2002, which included ModDB, NDDB, um, maybe a couple other sites. But for the uninitiated, can you just share more about what that is? What does Debolical encompass and what role have those sites played? and the, the modding ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. So Debolical actually came later. So ModDB was the first and it launched in 2002 and IndieDB launched in 2008 when, when uh, Unity and Unreal Engine started to open up and, and mod creators could actually transition out of just modifying a game as their way to an audience and they could actually start to create standalone content. But ModDB was standalone and, and it was its own thing. It was purely a hobby in the early days. Uh, like I launched it just for fun and ran it purely for fun, just loved the community and just playing all the content when it was getting submitted. So it was almost a selfish endeavor. But as, as modding and user-generated content has a tendency to do, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And every year it grew. Every year the number of creators and games that people onboarded and submitted grew. 
Um, and I think it was 2006, uh, yeah, I got a call um, and there was some interest in acquiring the site. And ultimately, I turned down those offers. And for me, that was the turning point where I'm like, all right, there's an opportunity to make this my life's work and business, you know, in an area that I'm passionate about. So I, you know, I stopped my job at the time and started focusing on it full time and uh, really like just you know, like continue to just adapt and, and, you know, evolve with the industry. Like IndieDB launched off the back of Indies, really having a surge as digital distribution and engines came to the forefront. Launched VRDB briefly when VR was surging. Uh, that ultimately was probably one experiment that didn't work out. Um, but the one thing that's remained consistent throughout my entire career is that ModDB has always been, you know, huge, still reaches a massive audience today. Those people are still going there for mods for Doom and Quake and the games that I loved 20 years ago. And I, I think for me, that's just an amazing thing in the power of modding and communities and, and uh, the like. What's cool to me is, um, you know, the sites have been, I think you, you mentioned 2002 is when ModDB started, which is nearly 20 years of you having a front row seat uh, to, to seeing what's going on in the, the modding space. Um, as you reflect over, let's say, like the past decade, what are the key ways in which you've seen the modding community evolve? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question, actually. So in the early days of UGC um, and mods, the only way as an amateur game creator to release a title was to mod an existing game. So uh, mods primarily back then, were to they were all total conversions, like they generally attempted to completely change the gameplay of the title that they were working on, whether it's um, Dota in Warcraft 3 or it's uh, Counter-Strike and Team Fortress in Quake and Half-Life. Um, like there's, there's like Gary's mod and all these sorts of really pivotal sort of moments in modding. They were all total conversions that really completely transformed the games that they were built off of because that was the only way for you to sort of build something and, and, and ship something. Uh, what happened, as I mentioned previously, is that then engines like Unity and others started rising to the fore. And all of a sudden, all of these mod teams who, who unfortunately couldn't commercialize their work um, as a mod creator for you know, due to licensing reasons, suddenly could start to bring those ideas to, um, to standalone titles. And some of my favorite studios did that. Like, you know, I love Chivalry and um, Insurgency in these games. Uh, and they started to, you know, spin out and create their own studios built on Source Engine, um, the Unreal Engine, and Unity. And digital distribution really gave them a platform and a place to get distribution and things that wasn't physical. So modding actually really took a backseat for a period of time there because studios, like all the talent was shifting to the indie space and um, digital distribution was allowing them to do that. Meanwhile, there's a lot of pressure from consoles and, and PC actually wasn't a very popular um, place to play games at the time. Uh, it's hard to remember all of this, but um, for a while their modding was sort of quietened down. And then what we saw is we saw the next wave of modding and the next iteration and evolution where digital distribution really started to take hold. And because of the accessibility of content um, and the accessibility of digital distribution, it, modding actually started becoming cosmetic. So it no longer needed to be total conversions. All of a sudden you could create just a, a vehicle or a, a, um, a new skin or a, you know, an emote or whatever it might be, or, you know, sound pack and things for, for games. And like modding once again adapted and creators sort of could, could just change their favorite games in small or meaningful ways. There still has always been PUBG and all of the mods like Daisy that were created for armor and certain games. Um, they certainly still existed, but modding kind of went cosmetic and really mainstream and it's, it's sort of just going from strength to strength. And I actually think, uh, I won't really get into the future, but I actually think we're going to see that next iteration now where modding goes full circle and as studios adapt a better strategy for UGC and mods, they're going to actually, it's going to encourage players to, to once again, who are creating games to return for reasons I can get into later. Uh, I won't answer that one now. Yeah, we'll talk about the future in a bit. And I, I had similar thinking about how modding is going full circle and that it's just like really interesting to think about that. But before we um, hit on the future, a couple other questions. First, almost selfishly, I want to ask, what lessons have you learned from building and managing these thriving online communities for so long? 
Uh, for other people who have other online communities, like what is like your top like one or two pieces of advice that that you picked up on? Yeah, so I guess the best thing about communities is that you like you really need to as much as possible give them the tools and control, especially when you're in a highly creative sort of space that that we are, where these these like. I'm never ceased to amaze at the creativity and the, the passion and the ability of, of the players. So like a really, an example on mod, mod DB is, you know, in a way, one of the features of ours, that's super old school, but uh, like we, we almost have this MySpace like feature where you can add custom CSS to your mod profile. So in a way you can mod your mod profile on mod DB. It's, it's a super old school feature. And some of the things that people have done to make their mod profiles look absolutely insanely gorgeous which is really hard to do because you're, you're, you're literally forcing our current very old UI into something new. Um, so for me, it's always just about enabling. The best thing that you can do with the community is just enable and trust whilst also having really strong systems for discovery and, and reporting and others so that you can you know, manage the, the inevitable um, sort of, you know, not everyone's always going to agree, but like just the more that you can empower and that's always been a big focus of mine, just that empowering users and creativity and encouraging it in different ways um, and trying to you know, like manage and, and orchestrate that because like we're in a highly creative medium with highly talented people. Awesome. Moving on, um, despite the you know, incredible communities that we've built, you know, the notable success stories of different games that have used modding to, to, to increase their success, modding as a category of user-generated content is still somewhat niche, which you kind of talked about how the industry um, has evolved. But why hasn't modding fully gone mainstream yet? As in, like, what have the obstacles been that have held it back? And what are the things that need to happen to make modding cross the chasm and truly become uh, a mainstream endeavor, do you think? Yeah, so, like, I mean, this is something that we're trying to solve for right now at, at Mod.io, but... The, for me, it's an incredibly complicated piece of functionality. Like shipping a game is like, first and foremost, let's start there. Shipping a game is incredibly hard, right? Like it, it's it's difficult to get it out on date, to, to follow your vision and just ship an, you know, a tremendous product. So modding is a feature that I think has largely taken a back seat because it's, 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 a, it's almost a secondary consideration to just shipping an amazing game. Um, and studios haven't really necessarily had a easy way to address and solve modding because it introduces challenges that game studios are just not set up to solve. Like there's some non-negotiables if you want to do modding, like to make it safe, like moderation and curation is incredibly important. To make it work, discovery and, and surfacing the best content is incredibly important to uh, you know, make it really powerful and impactful community and collaboration and, and fostering sort of that kind of environment is incredibly important. That's all, these are all things that like, game studios are used to being in 100% control of the experience. The minute that you give that control to your users, you lose a little bit of it and you've got to orchestrate and organize all these things um, really well. Like they're the core principles of supporting user-driven content. And I just don't believe that studios are that well set up to solve these and, and run the live services and everything. It's a long way outside of the realm of, of game development. And so for it to cross the chasm, really two things have to happen. One, a platform has to exist that, that, that can just solve and make all that easy and accessible. So for the studios that just want to explore and experiment, they know that there's a great solution that they can at least try dip their toes in and just, you know, learn and work with over time that they trust and, and it's fantastic. And then secondly, that platform in turn has to build really strong use cases for the studios that use it, show and actually give them tangible numbers that show, hey, by introducing modding, your engagement has grown, your player numbers has has grown, um, the goodwill and enjoyment has, has grown. And so, like, it's all about just showing that story. And, and I think at, 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 in some ways, because modding has almost been kept at arm's length um, and studios are kind of enabling it, but they're not officially in, in bringing it in-house and it's it's kind of on third-party sites like ModDB and, and Nexus Mods and others, they haven't yet really been able to properly quantify and measure the impact. So, you know, we're trying to change that and, and we think that'll really shift people's thinking. 
Well, that's a perfect segue to talk about Mod.io, uh, which you co-founded, I think, in 2017. Um, so can you maybe piggybacking off of those obstacles and what you say needs to happen, what exactly is you know, Mod.io solving for? And can you explain a bit just how does it work? So the difference between ModDB and, and Mod.io is that ModDB, anyone can add any game and submit any content. It's just a completely open community for anyone to do really, you know, share. Whereas Mod.io is all about the official partnerships and integrations with gaming studios to make UGC a, a very highly accessible anywhere that their game shipped and released. So the difference there is that um, Mod.io provides technology um, such as Unity and Unreal and, and SDKs that you drop into the game. And it, the aim of that, that technology is to make the process of installing and obtaining content for users to be a really joyful and easy one where you click a button to browse the mod or UGC or content menu. When, you, when you're in that menu, you're shown content and you click subscribe or play, and then that content is instantly automatically downloaded behind the scenes. And what that solves for studios is that it means that one, any game can really adopt this, whether your game's small or large, um, you, like modding can become something that, that can work for your, for your players. Two, it means that content creation can be small or large, like, like, like simple or complex. So you could allow really simple mods and just allow people just to do things that are drag and drop and share and play them. Um, or you can you know, allow really complex creations and you know, because they're in-game accessible, it just opens up the possibilities. So with Mod.io, uh, like it's all about that official relationship with game studios that allows them to take control and ownership of their creator community to make it accessible and available for their players, which then allows them to simplify content creation and, and the like. Uh, so it's a, it's a different way of thinking. It's, it's about helping studios harness and capture the success that they have had to keep at arm's length previously. Gotcha. And how does Mod.io make money? Yeah, so uh, ultimately, like, we're big believers that, um, that, like, you know, Roblox and what they've achieved as a platform is, you know, really interesting. Um, like, they've got this incredibly strong creator community and player base that just loves that sort of perpetual, you know, content kind of economy where they can, personalize their characters um, and you know, in, in any way that they please. Uh, creators who are making mods for that platform can then commercialize that, that content um, and, and then in turn allows those creators to continue to iterate and improve and work on it. Um, so really we want to ultimately help studios achieve similar endeavors. Uh, for us, we want to build a platform that allows studios to pursue the business model that makes the most sense for them. So if they want to allow their creators to trade and, and um, sell content, like, you know, we will support that if they want to allow their creators and players, uh, you know, to do something different to like, you know, support and, you know, be, provide patronage for their um, top, top, top creators. Like, like we, we endeavor to provide that functionality and in doing so we will manage all full compliance and everything and, and cash out and orchestrate all of them and, and take a fee for the transactions of doing that. But um, we also uh, are working with studios um, on white label solutions and things that allow them to really, you know, deploy their own modding ecosystem and infrastructure if they will. And we um, charge like, you know, on a, on a sort of usage type basis for that. Um, so we're certainly not advertising or any other business models at this stage. We're about allowing studios to run and have a product that's built by people who've thought about UGC for 18 years that, that, is, you know, that solves all the hard bits for them so they can focus on game development and we you know, build in accordance to their game success uh, as a result of that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I know some people who might follow the modding space could be familiar with Steam Workshop, which has existed for a long time. Could you maybe just talk a bit about like the differences in what you are building compared to um, like what Steam Workshop has traditionally been? Yeah, so Steam Workshop's an incredibly good product. Like it's 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 fantastic. Uh, in a way, it's what began. The, this next generation of UGC and mods that we're talking about, 
because it made it and made small to large games able to approach this. Uh, previously, you had to have an audience so significant that you had enough creators that were willing to share mods off-site and people define them for it to work. So modding was largely the domain of big games. Workshop, by making it integrated and accessible, changed that. Um, however, I suppose the difference between us and them, I mean, the primary one is that we're agnostic to stores and platforms. So we have games that are using mod.io uh, on Xbox, PlayStation, um, Epic Game Store, Steam, Oculus, iOS, Android, pretty much all the platforms. Um, so like, you know, that's, that's really important uh, for us to enable because we really want studios to be able to move cross-platform, not only with their multiplayer experience, but also with their creator community and have this singular sort of hotbed of collaboration happening and, and not fragmenting that, um, which will really allow them to capture that value. Uh, and then beyond that, like, you know, we don't create our own games. We don't run our own platform selling them or anything else. So we're singularly focused on helping studios really make UGC work and big for them. And so that means like we, you know, we're obsessed with metrics. And so over time, we want studios to be able to see uh, like, you know, who their top creators are, what content's trending um, and things that are really going to help them quantify the value and the impact and, and know what, what it is that their players want through the sort of creativity that's happening. So we're going to continue to differentiate ourselves through all these specialist features um, and just high levels of personalization. So like mod.io, we've got discord bots and things that people have made where like um, you can send a push notification when a mod's released. Like we really just want to be in every place where studios want us to be. So if they want to, people to be, integrate, you know, in working with their modding community on their launcher, we can do that. If they want it to be in-game, we can do that. If they want to have it on their homepage, we can do that. Like, we just want to help studios really make it a really core part of their gaming experience and really core part of their community experience. And they, they can't really do that with solutions, unfortunately, that are tied to the individual store or platform that their game shipped on. Yeah, and that strikes me as a huge deal. When, when I look at, at Mod.io, your ability to be cross-platform and ultimately just be being flexible, yeah, it strikes me as like an orthogonal strategy compared to what you know the traditional players, namely Steam Workshop, have done. And that, yeah, to me at least, it strikes me as a pretty huge deal and is really exciting. Um, and from my point of view, um, it looks like as well, you've kind of built this really interesting win, 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 win situation, you know, for one studios, two modders, three players, and then lastly, yourself. And, and I'm wondering if you can break that down just a little bit more um, uh, and maybe explain like how exactly does Mod.io level up the modding experience for one, those studios and developers, two modders, and then three players? Like what is fundamentally different about the experience that Mod.io makes better? So really the, 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 the fundamental difference is that like we're trying to build a system that, that absolutely balances the needs of all of those different parties uh, in a really good way. So flexibility is probably the first one. Um, with mod.io, studios can like, so if you start at the studio level, uh, well, first of all, we'll start at the platform level. Like we talk to and work with all the platforms. We're very mindful of, of following and, and, and how they want UGC to function on their system. So uh, like at the platform level, we're helping bring UGC to places where it hasn't been before. Like it's always been this PC, almost Western game phenomenon. And now at the, we're helping games that haven't previously been able to expand their content onto these devices and consoles and, and mobile um, they can now bring it there. So that's, that's a major shift. And we're seeing like, Players are absolutely loving that when they see all of a sudden that mods and content is available somewhere that they've never had access to it before. It's incredible. It's it's uh, it's amazing. So on the platform level, that's the first one. On the studio level, it's really about the flexibility. So like I said previously, like we think that the community side of of is so important to for studios to be able to capture. So we help them capture that and to be work closely with it. Um, it's about allowing them to deploy that wherever they want, whether it's in, whether it's in Discord or whether it's through their homepage, it launches in-game. Uh, it's about allowing them to choose how deep they want to go with modding. 
So they may just want to spin up a site on Mod.io, allow their community to start submitting and sharing content and not necessarily doing any integration. But then over time, they can continue to get deeper and deeper and deeper and they can integrate it in game and they can, you know, you know, integrate it with, with like Twitch and, and whatever, whatever areas they want to get to. Our, our architecture is very open that it allows them to sort of build fan sites. Like, like we're almost modular as the games that we want to represent. Um, and so we just want to open up opportunities. Like we don't want to, we see our role as like, as opposed to probably other systems uh, where they kind of almost need to create a very generic system that works for all games. We see our role as we want to create a system that allows game studios to be in control. So if they want to monetize content and allow people to trade, like that's, that'll be an option that they can turn on and, and do. Um, so we don't want to necessarily, we want to provide guidance and help and, and input, but ultimately that's something that, that they, they are in control of. Um, and for the players uh, and the creators, um, like it's all about just really, you know, again, bringing mods to more places. Like we've seen so much joy that that brings uh, when we do that. For the creators, like we really want to build tools that will in time reward them, like, you know, and allow studios to allow their creators to go pro and potentially make a living off the, you know, the sort of their passion projects. Um and to provide really good metrics and insight uh, and the likes um, that'll, that'll, you know, allow them to sort of, you know, like for me, we've talked to modders a lot and they love seeing people play and engage and work with their content. So we want to provide, you know, systems that allow them to really see that and to get that feeling um, and, and whether it's metrics or comments and discussions and the like. Uh, and then ultimately the, the players are the ones that really benefit because modding just happens in more places. They're getting access to more content for their favorite titles um, in, you know, from more talented people that are putting more time and effort and energy into it because as a whole um, studios are investing more heavily in it and creators are getting rewarded um, depending on monetization and other things that, that we're providing. So, so I, I appreciate you saying it's a win, 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 because that's certainly uh, what we'd like to, what we've always felt is the strength of UGC. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly think it's so fascinating. And I guess you've been building this platform for a while now. And I'm, I'm curious, how would you describe the, the current state of the business? What are you guys up to? What are you focused on? Yeah, so really current state is um, very much building a system that is very easy for studios to integrate. So that's the, the Unreal and the Unity and the SDKs that we provide. Like we want modding to be something that we don't solve the game, the mod creation or the mod consumption. Like they're gameplay things and we like, you know, game studios are obviously best equipped to do that. But we want to solve absolutely everything else and provide a solution that once they have those two pieces of the puzzle working, literally is a drop in and like, you know, they in a matter of days, they can have some sort of interface up for people to browse and download content uh, that kind of works everywhere. So like we're really focused on that whole integration side and just making it a joy for developers. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's uh, easier said than done. Like there's so many platforms these days. We've obviously got the next generation of consoles out. Nothing quite works the same. So you're not just supporting PC, you're supporting, you know, PC, Xbox, you know, like the, the, all the generations of Xbox, all the generations of PlayStation, all the generations of Nintendo, um, iOS, Android, they all work slightly differently. So having an architecture and system that solves and works in all those different places, it's a big undertaking and it's something that we're continually working on and we'll continue to refine and get better at. Um, then there's the whole uh, sort of, I guess, web and dashboard side of it, um, like, Modding, we want modding to primarily happen in game and to be accessible, and that's where most of the engagement happens. However, equally, we want to provide a community and a platform for people to engage with their favorite creators and content um, and subscribe to it when they're out of game. And so that's the whole web experience that's allowing studios to really theme and brand and personalize that for their games and their own objectives. So uh, putting a lot of focus on on building out that that tooling and the metrics and everything, uh, and and then lastly, it's uh, I guess it's allowing creators to to monetize content and uh, how that's going to work and operate and allow studios to really turn on that functionality 
that's an area that that um, requires you know, a lot of thinking um, to ensure that it it's works with all the different platform holders. Uh, it solves the needs of the studios in a way that makes sense for them and their creators and players, because it's been somewhat of a contentious issue at times, and it's it's certainly a an area that has not really been explored outside of probably sandbox titles and and simulation titles where it sort of makes sense. Like we want to help um, studios that are, are completely normal and ob- like you know just someone who's making an amazing first person shooter game to be able to pursue this. Um, so. Yeah, there's a lot of areas that we're working on interested in and there's, there's, there's a few others that uh, are probably a bit secret sauce that I won't go into. But <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. So let's, let's talk more about the future now. Um, you know, if we snap our fingers, zoom forward 10 years, um, how, do, how do you think the modding industry will look different from today? I mean, you mentioned the past 10 years, like a ton has changed. How do you think the next 10 years will change and how do you see like a larger, more mature mod IO fitting into that, that vision of the future? So like really, I see a much more mature market um, where right now, like we've said, game studios are kind of keeping UGC at arm's length because they can't really quantify the value. In 10 years time, that value will be really well known and quantifiable. It'll be repeatable. Um, and uh, sort of proven and studios can pursue it as a business model and an opportunity, whereas today there's really nothing that solves for that. Um, and so what that means is, uh, first first of all, um, yeah, so studios uh, like, like right now um, don't have an easy way to pursue modding and, and, and change it. So that'll all be solved, done, simple. Um, they'll be able to, They'll be, they'll be seeing it as a really powerful way to sort of bring their community together no matter where they're shipping. And so in a way, almost that, that in-game experience and that exploration of content almost becomes the most valuable one um, because it's something that students are in control of and own. So that's, uh, that's really significant. Um, but modding, modding as actually will, will be the one that's probably changed the most because right now I mentioned that 10 years ago, we saw this sort of shift where the top mod creators almost became indie developers. Um, and I actually see that shift now happening somewhat in reverse. And what I mean by that is I think that mod, the, the top mod creators are almost going to become like um, Twitch celebrities and influencers, if you will, where they're highly coveted, respected by the players, by the game studios and know like that they're going to want the top creators sort of really working for them and the reason for that is at the moment at least if you're a um indie game developer it's really hard to um sort of break through the and to have people become build that awareness that you need for your game to sort of find an audience and sure we see that we see the success stories but for every one of them there's a lot of quality creators and games that just don't make it um, because people don't know their brand and um, you know, they're a completely unproven and unknown IP. Uh, and what I think will happen somewhat is as game studios get better at working with their modern creator community and allow them to you know, commercialise and, and, and benefit from the opportunity that presents, the, these talented indie developers will actually be, well, why don't I create a, a mod for a game that has 5 million players because I've got this pre-validated audience that already loves and wants more content for this title. And then they just continue to invest and stick within that ecosystem um, because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's rewarding for them. So we'll see this sort of transition back where the top creators are realizing, well, indie game development's complex. You've got to build everything from scratch and then you've got to convince people to buy it. Whereas I can just adapt a game that I love and play and has already got this pre-validated audience and you know, reach tons of people that just want what I'm creating. So that's probably a major shift that we think will happen. Like it'll almost uh, reverse. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're looking forward to, to that. Yeah, um, I think part of what's been compelling about user-generated content lately, especially when you see like the Robloxes of the world um, find a tr- pretty tremendous scale over the past year, especially, um, is that these are the companies that have made it easier for non-developers to make games or make in-game experiences. Do you think we'll see a similar trend 
in modding where the tools to create these like awesome experiences become built increasingly in ways that just widens the market for the number of creators uh, to feel like they don't have to to pass like this this high learning curve in order to to add value and build audiences themselves. It really depends on what the game wants. There's a few things that we've observed. One that some people just identify as creators and just love creating, and some people are just consumers and just love playing everything that people make. In some ways, you can't force a player to become a creator and a creator to become a player. Like that's just who they are and what they enjoy doing. Right. Um, I guess um, part of <laughs> part of my like reflection on user generated content is, I guess, less that like the barriers to entry for creators are falling, and more that the spectrum is widening. Uh, right, where you'll have from the spectrum, you'll have the Unreal Engine on one side, and then you'll have like Fortnite creator mode, you know, on the other side, and then in between there are other other levels of like tools that you can build experiences from lots of different companies. Uh, I guess maybe to narrow in the question, do you do you view modding as having going towards like a similar type of spectrum over time, to where on one side, like you have like the extreme complexity that people want, but like that other side of the spectrum continues to widen out and therefore more people can play a role. I think more people are going to be able to play a role um, because game studios are going to experiment with making it accessible. But our advice has always been never underestimate the ability of your creator community uh, because given the right tools, time, uh, and incentives, they can really solve anything. And like to give you some examples, SnowRunner is a game that we work with. To create a, a, a vehicle for that game, it's like a 40-page highly technical PDF document, and they've got an incredible diverse array of creators that have made really amazing content for it. Then you've got extreme examples like Grand Theft Auto where there is no official mod support, yet people have, in effect, entirely reverse engineered it to create role-playing like experiences. So you don't necessarily need to dumb down creations and make it simple and accessible for it to really work for your game. Um, people will find ways as long as you give them the tools or just, just the examples that they could follow to learn from. But at the same time, we like, you know, there's also games that we work with like Space Engineers and Totally Accurate Battle Simulator where content creation is entirely drag and drop in game. Um, and, you know, they literally get several thousand pieces of content submitted daily. So that's at the other end of the spectrum. And players love that. Like it, it's, you know, because it makes creation part of the gameplay. Um, I just think it, it, it somewhat depends on the game and you don't have to move in a particular direction. Like there's no, nothing forcing you uh, because the harder content creation is, and the, the higher the barrier to entry, quite often that means that you just get less content, but it's really high caliber and really, you know, dynamic and, and um, really amazing. Uh, and so really, I, I guess, like, my, my thoughts on that is that in a way, I think the more you dumb it down, sometimes the way that, that means the more you limit it. Um, and that's, that's what I would prefer not to see, right, where you specifically allow people to play in this sandbox but because you've dumbed it down to the point that you control all the rules in that sandbox um, that means that people can only create content within the bounds of what's possible so yeah like i think i think this it, it's interesting like this is definitely something for game studios to explore and we've got our own thoughts on it um, there's no real right answer right or wrong answer here mm, yeah that, and that that's a great answer um, so i know you know, different companies, different people within those companies, um, different developers, they're going to read this interview and some of them are going to be extremely open-minded to modding coming into this conversation. Some of them are going to be, you know, more skeptical of what it can do for them. And I know you mentioned, um, you know, right now it's, it's harder for some studios to quantify the, the impact that adding modding can have to their games. Um, so I'm wondering maybe if you could save them some time <laughs> from figuring out uh, the, the, you know, the quantitative elements themselves and maybe like just make the case for why, why should they change their minds? How does enabling mods ultimately 
create value for those underlying studios. Um, and, it, you know, compared to if they were to ignore it. And then if you can quantify anything here, just from your, your experiences or what you've seen in other companies, that would be awesome. So my observations over a long journey working with hundreds of games is that modding is a multiplier of success. It's not a creator of success. So adding mod support will not necessarily, it's a chicken and egg problem. If you don't have the players, you need a volume of players to entice creators that will then amplify that player community. So in a way, you should always focus on building an incredible game first and, and then start to you know, introduce and layer and use drag content and things that will really just keep that sort of, you know, that snowball building uh, over, over time. Um, secondly, modding doesn't have to be for every game. Like if your game's heavily narrative driven uh, and like, you know, like modding just might not fit or work in that world. Uh, but if you're interested in modding and user content, I think that you should very much, like just as I said before, not underestimate your users and their ability to do it and see that as a barrier to entry. Like you can, you can honestly really dip your toes in and just provide one example mod and people, you don't even have to provide tools and people will figure out from that example mod how to create content. You can start really simple, simply and just like, you know, just let people start to collaborate and share just by creating a site on, on Modre or elsewhere and seeing, you know, you know, inviting and encouraging creation and seeing where that takes you and then build it more into your game and your workflows over, over time. So for us, um, like we think studios should just be more open-minded to it and think about it. And then to quantify the, the impact, really it, it depends on the game because like in, in multiplayer titles, it, it, like modding can be really simple and about the cosmetics because it's about that personalization and allowing people to really express themselves through content creation or it could be amazing level design um, and these sorts of things. Whereas in single player titles, it's just about expanding the universe. Like, you know, Skyrim has reinvented itself over 10 years continually through user-generated content. It's just about continuing to expand the universe and letting people introduce amazing things into this incredible world that they've created. Uh, so, yeah, it's hard to really quantify the impact. But, uh, like, a, a strong modding community is uh, an amazing thing. Um, because like they will they will do things that you didn't think your game was capable of doing, and they'll do it at a pace that you didn't think was possible to do. Um, and you know, like they'll just push boundaries. So uh, if you think it works, like we're always happy to talk to studios too. If they want us to provide our opinion on how how modding might work for them, like we're very happy just to share our experience and what we've observed over the years. Awesome. And at a high level for studios that are generally interested in figuring out how to apply modding to their games, um, could you just kind of talk about what some best practices are that you've picked up, you know, over the years? Um, and you can answer that however you see fit. And maybe connected to that, if you just, could you maybe just give like a couple examples of games who have who have implemented mods really well. I know you mentioned Skyrim, but I'm just thinking even more from like, like the, the process of getting it started. Like how, like, what does it look like? What are the best practices for companies that are trying to figure out how to take that first step? So I, I guess to, to get started, like the best practices that we've seen, um, first of all, always create a few example mods. Like just try to show the dynamic range of content that be, can be created for your game as an absolute starting point to seed your community um, and let them have full source and access to that so they can kind of see how that's done. Often learning from examples is the best tutorial. Um, secondly, uh, as much as possible, build tools that obviously assist with content creation and submission. Like sure, we, we can solve all that for you and you can you can do all that through systems like ours where content can be submitted directly. But uh, the more that you can kind of guide that process um, and the more accessible you make it, obviously the better it'll become. Uh, and then in terms of games that have done it really well, um, like it's it's generally speaking the the 
it's the games that just give more access to their players. Like uh, Minecraft, like the biggest, the, the biggest games and the biggest mods on the planet have come out of games like, like you know, Armor has had Daisy and um, PUBG and Battle Royale mode. Um, Minecraft's just had countless pieces of content created out of it. Half-Life's had Counter-Strike and Team Fortress and Insurgency, Chivalry. Uh, Warcraft 3's had Dota and then Dota in turns had Auto Chess. Um, all, the one thing that these games all have in common is that they really give their creators almost access to everything um, and the ability to go the, the entire journey. So if that's something that you're interested to pursue, certainly. But equally, there's games like um, uh, like, like Space Engineers that I mentioned where content creation happens in game and it's super simple. And it's, they've got an incredibly vibrant and strong community that is just making and sharing spaceships and vehicles. So there's, there's definitely no one size fits all. Um, figure out what works for you, how far you want to go, and just try to enable, focus on enabling that really well and then building on that. Um, and then just use the tools that allow you to, that make you comfortable, like allow people to categorize and organize mods so they can search and discover it really well. So they can, so players can find what they want. So like make that really easy for your players. Um, then uh, I guess, um, yeah, so make it easy and accessible in game. Um, yeah, I'll leave it there, but there's like, they're the, they're the sort of key things that, that we've sort of seen and observed. Awesome. Yeah, I know that was a, a big question. Um, before we wrap up, I, I want to ask just a bit more about yourself and how you have evolved on your entrepreneurial journey. So as you've, you know, started uh, with ModDB and moved on to now ModIO, how have you improved as an entrepreneur um, over that time span? Uh, looking back, like, what do you appreciate more now that you've gone through more of an entrepreneurial journey? Um, is there anything now that you would have done differently from, from the past? Um, just in general, what have, what have you learned? How have you got more experience? Uh, well, I suppose probably for me, <clears throat> I mean, I've had, I've had an amazing journey and I've had the opportunity to work with some incredible games and, and studios and creators and got to play some just some content from the community that has continually blows me away. So uh, it's I've, I've I've been really fortunate, and I'm really happy that I'm I'm working in a space now where like I believe that mods and UGC will play a much larger role in gaming for such a long period of time. And I've always felt that, as you asked earlier, it's been held back because the tools and the accessibility that just makes it easy for studios of all sizes and scale and and ambition haven't been able to pursue. So to be probably helping aid that is something that you know, is incredible. I think probably the main thing that I've learned over my journey is uh, like I actually just wish I had stayed more focused on what I felt was most important. Like I, I in a way, um, I, you know, like always love mods and content, but then you know, like I, I got drawn into VR and things and, uh, and I, it was amazing and good in the early days and uh, you know, I really enjoyed it. And that's why I was probably drawn to it. But uh, one thing I realized is that my core strength and primary passion has always been mods and UGC. So like, I think always focus on where your strengths are and leverage them um, as much as you can as an entrepreneur. Uh, and so for me, that's really helping studios understand UGC, what it can mean and building a system that can make that good for them. Uh, and then it's really just trying to surround yourself with people who share your belief and vision and passion uh, as much as you can, because like, I think probably the one difference between UGC than anything else and, and my journey is that it's so dynamic because you're literally, you know, your players are you know, able to, to do it. And so you need to be, have a kind of dynamic and you know, that kind of mindset. So as we've grown and expanded and, and taken on investors and, and gone, like, you know, become really excited about this and what we can do, uh, like every time you bring on a new team member that shares that enthusiasm and passion and knowledge, uh, it's a really good thing. So for me, it's always just the people 
and uh, the alignment in ideas um, that really helps you take that next step in your journey. Because uh, I think I think the worst thing that you can do with UGC when it's this highly dynamic thing is try to really constrain and control it, if you will. Like you really want to uh, do that, but in really smart ways. Like, um, and there's certainly smart ways to solve it. Awesome. And final question for you. As you look back on your career so far, what are you most grateful for? Uh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm most grateful for one, starting ModDB in 2002. Like it, it was just purely a passion project. Um, it was never intended to be anything more than that. I just wanted to play mods and find them. And so I created a place to enable that. But that doing that, has led to a site that still reaches 4 million people monthly seeking content for all manners of, of games and has allowed me to gain such a you know insane body of knowledge to be in a position now where we're building Mod.io, we're backed by you know amazing investors. I'm working with studios that I absolutely loved and have played with their games for such a long period of time. So to help see them achieve more with mods and UGC, it's really the dream come true um, to be continuing this journey. So extremely thankful for everyone who's you know, given me that chance and opportunity over the years and, and recent times. So yeah, just taking that leap of faith in the early days. Amazing. And picking something with sticking power. Like I think, uh, <laughs> I think there's any number of things that I could have done in 2002 that might've been a fad and might've faded away, but uh, like mods and UGC, it's like, they always say that it's good at driving player loyalty and engagement. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been there for almost 20 years now. It'll, it'll be there still in 20 years time. Awesome. Well, that's all I got. Thank you for, for doing this. This was, this was great. And to all of our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review. Also, if you want to stay up to date about all things business of gaming, head on over to Novik.co, subscribe to our newsletter, Master to the Meta, and check out our Discord. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.